Let's begin in verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to an audience of kings, governors, military commanders, high society in the city of Caesarea, which was about 90 minutes north of Jerusalem. Verse 19, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, even as this word says that Paul would proclaim light to the Jewish people and the Gentiles. We come here this morning, we're all in agreement, Lord. We want light proclaimed to us, Lord. Expose our hearts to your word, to your light, to your life, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. Okay, I'm going to begin with posting a few verses on the, uh, the projection screen, which will serve as a foundation for where we're going to be today, just or the book of Acts, really, John 10.10. 10. This is Jesus speaking. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Then in chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says this, whoever of you does not forsake all he has cannot be my disciple. You know, we read verses like these, and Jesus, there's a lot more from where that came from, a lot more. <laughs> And, you know, we read this, it's the life of Christ, and, 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 and sometimes we say, well, you know, what does all this look like in real life? Lord, you promised not only to give me life, but an abundant life. What does the abundant life look like? Lord, you say in this world, I will have trouble, but I need not worry, because you've overcome the world. What does it look to be in trouble, but not to worry? What does that really look like? What it, you say, Lord, that whoever does not forsake all he has, rather, he cannot be my disciple. What does that look like? Well, that's what the book of Acts is about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe the life of Jesus. They are followed by the book of Acts, which describes the life which surrenders to Jesus and lives the life that Jesus described, the life where Jesus is living through 
men and women living the abundant life with Jesus. That's what, what we've been reading about in the book of Acts. Men and women who keep their cool in the midst of trouble. That's what we've been reading about in the book of Acts. Men and women who have forsaken all to follow him. What does that mean? Does that mean you give up all your possessions and you just go somewhere and, and, and you know, to, to, to be a beggar or something and live with Jesus? No, we've learned in the book of Acts it's something very different than that. Well, Jesus says something else in the Gospels. In the book of Mark, he says this, chapter 13, verse 9, 11. We're going to read, we've been reading in the last few chapters a real-life example of this. But before Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he said, On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit. Wow. So what does that look like in real life? Well, we've been there for the last uh, few chapters uh, in the book of Acts, chapters 23 through 26. We left off last week in chapter 26, where sure enough, Paul is standing before governors and kings. The governor's name, Festus. Come on, some of you families, get a name when you're boys. Festus. I just like that name, Festus. You have a Festus. He's going to do things in life. The king's name, Agrippa. No, not, 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 not that bad name. <laughs> but in any event, in addition to Festus and Agrippa, as we've said, uh, there is Agrippa's half-sister, Bernice, with whom he was carrying on a relationship. She was his mistress. Historians tell us she was a ravishing beauty. She had already, by this time in Acts 26, been the mistress of at least one Roman emperor and would become the mistress of yet another, among many others. Who's who of the Roman empire had her, many of them had her as a mistress. So Paul is standing before a governor, a king, the king's lover, and also chapter 25, verse 23 says, an auditorium filled with military commanders and the prominent men of the city. So again, Jesus says, you will stand before governors and kings, but do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit say in a situation like that? Well, let's just pick up in verse 1. We were in it last week. We'll just try to briefly go over it again. What does the Holy Spirit say in a situation like that. Verse 1 of chapter 26 says, Then King Agrippa said to Paul, You're permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions 
which have to do with the Jews. Now, King Agrippa had converted to Judaism really for political reasons. So he knew about the Jewish customs and laws. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Pharisee, a very religious group among the Jews. Verse 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise are 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he's saying to the king, listen, there was a time when I fought against, I did many things against this Jesus and anyone who believed in his name. Verse 10, this I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints I shut up in prison. Now just briefly, the word saint there, not referring to men and women, you know, who appear on Stained glass windows in big cathedrals, not referring to uh, those. The Bible says that saint is, re- is anyone, any man or woman who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Any man or woman. The Greek word there, hagios, means separated ones. Those who God has separated to a life with himself. That's all a saint is. And churches who single out certain men or women for the title of saint, they're really creating a very distorted picture of what a saint really is. Every man or woman who puts their faith in Christ is a saint. You may never thought of yourself as a saint. You are if you've put your faith in Christ. Let's continue on. Again, verse 10, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue. Synagogues were Jewish places of worship, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground. I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick 
against the goad. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Verse 16. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So again, Remember what Jesus said, you'll stand before governors and kings, but do not worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, it's the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit speak about? Well, first, he speaks through Paul about the exchanged life. The exchanged life. The swap God says to us, I want you to give me your life in exchange. You need to give me. You need to take my life. I want you to give me your life in exchange. You need to give me yours. That's what the Holy Spirit speaks here through Paul. The one-for-one swap he made with Jesus. And oh, is it a good deal. His life for Jesus' life. And this is where we left off last week. You know, there does come a time when by the grace of God, a man or woman realizes that everything, (laughs) everything, everything he stands for, everything she stands for, everything their life is about, everything they have spent their time doing, everything that they have pursued, everything their life represents is wrong. And not only is it wrong, there's a darkness to it. The life of God is not in the life. It's not a part of it. Wrong from the inside out. And and that's what Paul is doing here. That's what the, actually the Holy Spirit is speaking here through Paul. He's saying, listen, I'm not proud of it, but my whole life was motivated by a lie. Verse 9, I myself did many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Then, but then Paul goes on to say, but Jesus Christ revealed himself to me. He offered an exchange life, and I took it. What does the Holy Spirit say? When we're thrown before governors and kings, he speaks about the exchanged life. You know, every single person in here, if if you're a follower of Jesus, you are going to be put on trial. It may not be before governors and kings, but it'll certainly be your family, your friends, your co-workers. Never, ever go on the defense. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. That's not what he does here. You don't have to defend anything. But you talk about the exchanged life. The exchanged life. 
which is what happens when any single person, which must happen for any single person to go from death to life, for anyone to enter into a relationship with God and, and, and earn heaven. You can't actually earn heaven. It's a free gift. But in order to get into heaven, you cannot get into heaven unless you go through this transaction, a one-for-one swap, your life for Jesus' life, an exchange. If you've never done that in your life, please don't leave here today without making that exchange, the exchanged life. So in verse 19, say, he describes, uh, the, uh, Jesus gave him this offer. Listen, you need to exchange your life for mine. And verse 19, it says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Meaning I did it. I understood that everything that my life was about was wrong. Darkness from the inside out. But I was given an offer and I took it. I, I, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now, keep in mind who he's talking to, a man who's sleeping with his half-sister and parading around town with her by his side. No shame, no remorse, just a, you know, a hard in your face, I'm going to live my life the way I feel like it and how I want it type of guy. And Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, Agrippa, there is an exchange life which is available to you, free. Do you want it? Now, please, don't miss what's just happened here. Because something extraordinary has happened here. Who was supposed to be the judge and who was supposed to be the guy on trial here? And you notice how the Lord does this. So what does the Holy Spirit say before he's brought, before, when he brings us before Romans, governors, or anyone else? Everything's turned on its head. He takes the spotlight off the one who is on trial, Paul, and he puts it on the judge and everyone else listening. The spotlight is now on their hearts, their motives, their way of life. And I know there are some of you here this morning. God is putting the spotlight on your hearts. You have been kicking against the goads. What again does that mean? Well, let's read it again. Verse 14, back up just a few verses. Verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Paul spoke the Hebrew language. God doesn't speak to us in code language, folks. He doesn't. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We talked about this last week. A goad was a wooden stick with a sharp pointed end, sometimes a, a sharp pointed end made out of metal, and farmers carefully position these goads on plows and wagons in such a way that if an ox veered off course, he got stuck by the goad, pricked by it. Ouch. 
whatever it is an ox says, you know. From time to time, you get a stubborn ox, and they wanted to go where they want to go, you know, and, and not where some dumb farmer wanted them to go. He wants me to go in a straight line, forget that, and they would stubbornly kick against it, you know, kick against it and every time, you know. It was, it was just a losing battle. It was a no-win situation. Some of you this morning, you are kicking against the goads. You know God wants to go in one direction for your life, and you are insisting on challenging him. Now, for some of you, uh, I'm convinced the Lord is offering you the exchange life, a one-for-one swap, his life for your life, an exchanged life, and you keep resisting. It's just, ouch! Ouch, ouch, you know, you, you, he's offering it, and you, you, he's drawing you in one direction, and you know, ow, ow, you know, ow, you know, you, you, know, you just don't want to go forward with him, with that exchanged life. Others of you, you've exchanged your life, you've done that transaction, that one-for-one uh, one swap, best deal of all eternity, the life of Jesus for our life. What better deal can we have than that? You've done that, but you are kicking against the goads because, I don't know, maybe you're in a waiting season in your life. Because you don't want to wait. And again, it's like, Ow, you know, ow, you know, or you're trying to move forward faster than God wants you to go. Ow, you know, the goat is right in front of you. <laughs> you know, it's a no-win situation. Or you may be in a, in a relationship and you want out of the relationship, uh, you know, uh, and, and the Lord is saying, you know, I'm sorry. And you're like, Lord, I don't want this. Ouch, I don't want this. Ouch, you know, this type of thing. Or, or maybe, you know, you're just, you're in a relationship, a marriage, a friendship, a rooming situation, a, at work, at work, a boss, whoever, and God wants you to conduct yourself in that relationship in a radically different manner. And you're like, no, Lord, I can't do that. No, I'm not going to. Ow, no, I'm not going to. Ow, no, I'm going to. You know, it's this type of thing. You're kicking against the goats. And the Lord is telling you, stop kicking. Why are you kicking against the goats? Let go. Surrender your life to me. Let's just continue in verse 15. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So when someone comes against you for your faith in Christ, they are coming against Jesus. Never forget that. But rise. So he's down on the ground. His bright light came from heaven. And Jesus says to him in verse 16, but rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you 
a minister. Now that word minister, a lot like the word saint, has been greatly distorted and misused. The word minister there, it's this word hyperetes. It's not like an eddy who's hyper, but you know, they didn't, that's not a Greek name. But hyperetes is the, is, the Greek, is the Greek word. And what it means is under oarsman. Do you guys know what an under oarsman? Or, or are you just all too young? You didn't see those Charlton Heston movies in the 60s. We know Charlton Heston, no shirt on. And what is he doing? He's in the belly of a boat. Or he's the oarsman. Along with, you know, 20 other guys. And there's some guy in the front going with the sledgehammer. My blank faces, everyone. You guys have never seen it. Yes, no, you've never seen it. An under oarsman. That's what this is. I am going to make you, Jesus says, an under oarsman. So don't think, oh, I, I hope you didn't breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, this is all for ministers. Thank God, you know. No, we're all called to be under oarsmen. All it means is a servant uh, 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 God's, uh, in God's ship, God's, you know, the church, the body of Christ. All of us are hyper eddies, under oarsmen. Verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. But Jesus, you're talking about Paul's future. What about his past? What about... The children he terrorized when he dragged their parents out of their homes off to prison. The men and women he tortured until they agreed to forsake Jesus or to curse Jesus. The uh, men and women he put to death. You know, what about that? Not a word about his past. In verses 14 and 15, he did talk about the present. Paul, why are you persecuting? Paul, why are you kicking against the goats? Nothing about the past. There is a promise to those who the Lord comes in and rescues and separates unto himself. It's this promise. Hebrews 10, 17, quoting from Jeremiah, their sins and their lawless deeds... I will remember no more. Now, that doesn't mean God forgets something you've done in the past. What it does mean is that he'll never bring it up in your face again. What it does mean is that he, he, he will not remind us of these things. He, he will not bring them to our remembrance. And so here in Acts 26, Jesus directs Paul away from his past and on to the future with God. Brothers and sisters, stop dwelling on your past. Stop it. Stop it. In verse 16, Jesus says to Paul, what does he say to Paul in verse six, back in verse 16? Rise and stand to your feet. In other words, God doesn't want to, you to be on the ground rubbing your nose in the muck and the mire. He doesn't want you doing that. Stand and rise to your feet. When God saves you, 
The issue is no longer the people you've betrayed, the husband you left, the women you used, the drugs you sold, the abortions you've had, the cheating, the lying, the self-centered life. All that stuff has been dealt with on the cross, drowned and drenched and dealt with by the blood of Jesus. The Lord remembers your sin no more, and God's preoccupation with you is where he wants to take you. Is there any wonder why they called it the good news? Verse 17, Jesus continues, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, because he's going to have a lot of people coming against them, to whom I now send you. So he's saying, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And who, what is a Gentile? Anyone who's not a Jew. So he'd gr- he had grown up a Jew. Now I'm going to send you outside your comfort zone to that world out there, the non-Jewish world. And then he says in verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now that verse 18, that's a pretty extraordinary verse. (laughs) Why did he send Paul out again? Why did he send Paul out into the world? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So what do we take from that? Well, among other things, don't let anyone ever convince you that we live in a I'm okay, you're okay kind of world. (laughs) I'm okay, you're okay, let's all sing kumbaya and have a group hug because we're all okay with God. Never let anyone convince you of that. That's not God's perspective on the world. God's perspective on the world is that it is shrouded in darkness. That is why he commissions Paul here, again in verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That, that's a pretty heavy stuff. John chapter 1 verse 5 says, the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And in uh, Matthew 4, 16, it says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. That's God's perspective of the world. (laughs) It's shrouded in darkness. You know, our problem is, or many times the problem of the body of Christ is, or, or or really the world is, it likes to convince himself that, the, uh, that the, the only thing that's really darkness is, is, you know, stuff that has just evil painted all over it. And Stephanie and I were out celebrating our 23rd anniversary, which was on Saturday. Yeah, all right. God is so faithful. He, he calls us into an abundant life. But... We were talking to the waiter, and he was talking about where his city was uh, in Brazil. It was actually a city right next to Fortaleza, which is where Alex Piagetti is starting his church. 
which we're getting behind there. And our waiter was telling us about the sexual tourism that is just rampant and devastating his city and tourists from many different countries of the world coming into his city and just stripping away the dignity and the future from hundreds and hundreds of little girls. You know, that's painted with evil all over it. Most of us will agree that's dark. That is dark. And I am so privileged that we're going to be a part of a work to try to Try to expose all that to, to light. But you know something? There's a much more pervasive darkness in the world. It's when the world convinces itself that I am okay, you are okay, everyone okay. But from God's perspective, Romans chapter 1, verse 19 says this. It says this. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. But their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. That's the darkness that pervades, that fills the world. That what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them but the world knowingly sticks its head in the sand. And that's why it says when Jesus started his ministry, those sitting in darkness have seen a great light. When a man or woman or a society or a nation enjoys and takes advantage of everything that, that God has to offer, nature, relationships, beauty, food, drink, laughter, life, but... They deny the God that made it all, that is responsible for it all. That is darkness. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son as a light into the darkness. Why? Verse 18, to open the eyes, their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified, which just means set apart by God, by faith in me. In who? In Jesus. In Jesus. That was Paul's commission. That is your commission. That is what the life looks like that comes alongside of Jesus Christ. Right here, we see a picture of it in the book of Acts. Verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent. What does repent mean? It means just turn around, do a U-turn. Turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Re meaning, if someone really turns to God, their life is going to show it. Verse 22. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would Come. So Paul says there at the beginning of verse tw 22, he says, Therefore, having obtained help from God, 
to this day I stand. And by that he means he continues. He continues to this day what God had started in his life. Actually, the King James Version. Translate verse 22 uh, like this. This is the King James Version right here. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. I continue, meaning to this day I stand. I continue standing on the rock. So God called him to a certain life, and he's saying, to this day, I'm continuing it. I, I stand in it. So a few questions for you this morning. Is the word of God as precious to you today as it was when you first believed? Is the word of God as precious to you today as when you first believed? It should be far, far more precious. Paul says, again, to this day I stand, meaning I continue to do this, witnessing both to small and great. Are you sharing your faith today in a manner similar to how you shared it when you first believed? The Bible says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. We all should be sharing fourfold. <laughs> There's so much joy in it. That conversation with that waiter on our 24th, 3rd anniversary uh, that Stephanie and I had, it was, we were talking to him about Jesus. There's no less joy today after walking with the Lord for 23, 24 years than, you know, 23 years ago. Paul says, in this I stand, in this I continue. Are you as connected with the body of Christ today as much as when you first came to Jesus? Or have you drifted away? Maybe there was a pastor who went bad along the way, and, or, or a friend or hypocrisy in the church where you're like, man, you know, I, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to hang with the word, with the body of Christ, like I did anymore. And, and share my faith, uh, you know. Or maybe a career took over. Or maybe the, it was just some other interest. Uh, you know, the book of Hebrews says, uh, cast off everything that hinders. It's not even talking about sin there. It's just talking about stuff that hinders. And you just don't have that love of the word of God or the body of Christ anymore. Ain't supposed to be like that, brothers and sisters. Paul says, I stand on these things to this day. Psalm 138, verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, I will complete, the I being the Lord speaking to us, I will complete that which concerns you. 
And a more well-known verse in Philippians, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And when God <laughs> completes a work in us, he doesn't make our love for the word, our love for the body of Christ, or our love for sharing our faith go down and down and down. That's not what happens. That's not how God, Jesus, the captain of our salvation, he's called in the book of Hebrews, finishes a work. Paul says, again in verse 22, to this day I stand. King James Version says, I just continue to this day. Witnessing both to small and great, he says in verse 22. Now, I, I, I find that interesting uh, as well. That, you know, what do you do? What does the Holy Spirit say when he's witnessing before kings and governors? The exact same thing he says to anyone else. The exact same thing. I witness to, to both small and great. Doesn't say anything different to a king as he does to a pauper or a homeless person. Same exact thing. No, oh, this is wonderful. He says in verse, c- continues on in verse, he continues on in verse 23. What does, he, what does he talk about? That the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24, now as he, now as he thus made his defense, so Paul stops speaking in, in verse 23, and he's interrupted by Festus. Festus was the governor And Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. In other words, you're crazy. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, but Paul said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, speaking of King Agrippa, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. Since these, the, this thing was not done in a corner. In other words, the Jews knew all about Jesus and knew all about what the prophet said about Jesus. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? So who's the judge here? <laughs> you know. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Again, mentioned this last week, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. You know, it has been said that there are third Christians. If you're a third Christian, no such thing as a third Christian. There's only whole Christians. But if a third Christian is a Christian who just, they know facts about the Bible. They know facts about Jesus, the Christ, A two-thirds Christian is one that knows the facts, you know, Christmas, Easter, you know, Bethlehem, these types of things, a resurrection. They know the facts, but they're also, there's an emotional thing going on, you know, in their life. Their their heart has been stirred up for, for the Lord. But a third, three-thirds Christian, a whole Christian, knows the facts has the emotions, but they've said, what? I will. I do. When I was married 23 years and one day ago, man, I knew the facts about my wife. She was one gorgeous babe. 
sorry, man. It was just, it's true to this day. Shouldn't say was, is. Was and is to this day. I had the emotions, ooh, man, was I heart sick. But it wasn't too until the altar that I said, I do, I will. No such thing as an almost Christian. Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. No such thing. That word Christian, by the way, uh, was a was really at the time, if you read about that term Christian at this time, it was actually a derogatory term that was used by others uh, sort of making fun or mocking people who follow Jesus. The Roman orator Tacitus is quoted as saying, rogue people or rude people called, or when they wanted to insult, they called someone a Christian. And, and that word Christian means Christ, and then the suffolk is one who follows, or one who follows. So one who follows Jesus, or one who belongs. That's what a Christian was. And so, you know, it, it, it causes trouble. It stirs up trouble, right? You know, I belong to the Catholic Church. Won't get you in trouble. I belong to Calvary Chapel won't get you in trouble. I belong to the Baptist church. Won't get you in trouble. I belong to Jesus. That will get you in trouble. That word Christian, only used three times in the Bible. He says, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also who hear me today might become both almost and all together. It says, not almost. You can't stay there. You need to be all together, such as I am, except for these chains. So he was a prisoner. He was in chains. Verse 30, when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, so they bolted. They were given the offer, but they bolted. You know, some, many people sometimes, they, 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 the light is exposed to their heart and they realize, you know, everything I stand for is wrong. There's darkness in it, but they bolt anyway. And that's what happens here. Verse 31, and when they had gone aside and talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving the death or chains. Verse 32, then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So we'll pick up in chapter 27 next week. Paul's going to start a voyage to go visit Caesar. <laughs> you know, Jesus said, you're going to be brought before governors and kings, and, and, and that is what is going to happen. But what a great demonstration for us. What a great picture about what it's like when we're put on trial, whether it's by Romans or governors or, or, or our friends or, or our coworkers. But primarily and supremely, what do we do? We just talk about the exchanged life. If you've never done that before in your life, Jesus, the Bible says, he's knocking at the door of your heart, Revelations 3.20. He's saying, he says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Anyone who opens his heart, I will come in. If you've never done that, if you've never spoken those words, yes, Lord Jesus, come in. 
We'll have a couple people praying uh, up here after the service. They'll be standing up here. They can uh, pray through with you. That very simple commitment of faith, that very simple, I will, I do. All right, okay. Why don't we stand for uh, a closing worship song? Worship team can come up. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this wonderful demonstration, Lord, of your grace. Again, Lord, no mention of the past when you called Paul out of his life. You're preoccupied with our future, with our now, our present, our day. You said to Paul, rise and stand on your feet. Lord, we thank you so much that you don't rub our nose in our past. Help us, Lord, to not do that to ourselves. Lead us on, Lord, to that place where you want us to be, walking in grace in the abundant life, at peace in the midst of trouble, forsaking all. Seeking first the kingdom of God, that all things would be added unto us, Lord. Father, we thank you for the exchanged life. What a deal, Lord. What a deal, Father. Our life for your son's life. The flesh life for the God life. Lord, your word says you're abounding in goodness, Lord. How could we forsake a life that is abounding in goodness? We thank you for that. We thank you for your son, the cross, and the resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you.